It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Today we have a special guest speaker on campus, so buckle your seatbelts. Father, we thank you just for this day you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for just through the snow outside, Lord, and just your beautiful creation that we can enjoy. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity this morning to know you and to be changed and conformed into your image. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us this morning, Lord, and that our hearts and our minds would be ready and open to receive what you have for us today, Lord, and that we would be hearers and doers of the word, not just hearers only, Lord, but that we would go out and do what your word commands us to do. I mean, so we thank you for these things, Lord, and ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so obviously we're going to look at El Alam, the name of God this morning. So last week, I think it was last week, Sandy gave uh, El Shaddai, right? So El, the same um, name for God, um, El. So you have, right, two words, El and Alam. So El was just a common um, word for God. In this time, it was used for pagan gods, um, so not just referring to Jehovah, but multiple gods. They would use the word El, um, used throughout Scripture. But this combination, El Alam, is only used once in Scripture. Um, so Alam is everlasting. Um, so we're going to look at that passage. That's in Genesis... Where are we going first? Genesis 21. So just turn there first. Um, and we're going to look at that. So we're going to do, we're going to read um, where it's used first, and then we're going get, to get a little bit of context, and then slot that back in your memory, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. So we'll read it, and then um, we'll come back a little bit later and go over it a little bit more. So Genesis 21, and we'll start in verse 1. says this, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old, when his son Isaac was born to him. And then hop down to verse uh, 17. Sorry, 22, verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Philskol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my... How do you pronounce what? Patastri? I don't know how to pronounce that. Posterity. Thank you, Ben. But that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me, and in the land where, where you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then hop down to verse 32. It says, And thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose up with Philsco, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamsrit tree, in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. 
and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So the everlasting God, or El Alam. So, everlasting, what does everlasting mean? So, everlasting, let's see if we describe it. So, it's, the word everlasting is related to time. Time helps define it, but it's outside of time. Okay, so we think time of time in linear terms, right? So starting here, ending here. So we say George Washington was born in 1732, and he died in 1799. So it's everlasting is related to time, but it's outside of time. So a definition for everlasting is called the vanishing point. Okay, so that you see a point out in the distance, like a mirage, and you go to where you think it is, and you get there, and you see it's farther out, and you see it's farther out, and it's farther out, and you can never catch it. That's the idea of everlasting. Some, some other definitions are time out of mind, past or future, eternity, always, lasting, or world without end, are all uh, definitions that Strong's gives. Um, but I like that, the one, the vanishing point. You, you can, it'll go in either direction, and you can never catch it. Um, and so C.S. Lewis used, used an illustration like this. He said, if you took a scroll of paper, and you started here in this room, and you spread it out all the way to the west coast that way, and all the way to the east coast that way. It's not actually the direction. But if you did it to the, the east coast and the west coast of the states, and really you'd actually have to go in an infinite direction for it to be true. Just, uh, just a blank piece of paper, and then you took a pencil, and you put a little one-inch line on that pencil, or sorry, on that scroll. That re would represent time and everlasting would be the paper. Does that make sense? So it's, it's related to time, but it's really outside of time. Okay. So turn, if you would, to Gen or sorry, Isaiah 40. Um, so we're going to come back to that passage in Genesis in a little bit, but we're going to go first look at a uh, passage in Isaiah 40, and we're going to start in verse 12. Uh, and this passage... Isaiah just goes, goes over the top to say, look at who our God is, how big our God is, how majestic he is. Um, and he, at the end, he points to the everlastingness of God. He doesn't use the name El Elam. I, I, uh, I think it's Yahweh Elohim. He uses two names, Yahweh Elohim, Elam. Um, so let's look at this in Isaiah 40, verse 12. And just, as we're reading this, it's a longer passage, but just meditate on who our God is. So if you just want to just close your eyes and listen to it or follow along, but just meditate on the grandeur of who our God is as we read this. He sa Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meter out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Certainly the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance. He takes up the coastlands as a very li little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor be sufficient as a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him as less than nothing and meaningless. 
To whom then will you liken God, or with what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains. He who is too impoverished for such an offering chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to repair a graven image that shall not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their tree take root in the earth, when he will blow upon them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who has created all these things, that brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary? There is no searching in his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't that good? That our God is so much bigger than anything here, that we can't even compare him to things. You know, I want to look a little, little, take a little bit of time and look at verse, uh, oh, I didn't mark this up. Verse 22. It says, He that sits upon the, the circles of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. So have you guys ever thought of just how big our heavens are? So let's take a minute. This just blows my mind when you look at, at what Isaiah is really saying here. So real quick, let's look at this. A quick journey at the speed of light. So light travels at 186, 282 miles per second. So the speed of light is 100, so speed of light equals that. <laughs> so light travels around the earth, the circumference of the earth, seven and a half times in one second, okay? Right, so you follow me? So the sun is approximately 93 million miles from earth. Anybody, do you have any, how long it takes to get there? At the speed of light? At the speed of light. It's about nine and a half minutes. Yep, you're right. Eight minutes and 19 seconds. So from the sun, from light traveling from the sun to here, it takes that long to get here. Um, actually, so 
just to give you a comparison of how fast we travel. So um, we had a couple guys here this past summer. They flew from Frankfurt, from Germany to Denver. So it's like a 5,000-mile flight, and it took them 10 hours to get here. So they're traveling roughly 500 miles an hour. So they were cruising. And if you would, if you would go at that speed that our airlines go at to travel to the sun, anybody guess how long it would take you to get to the sun? Traveling 500 miles an hour? Take a wild, someone take a wild guess. A long time. <laughs> what do you think, Jackson? So 21 years traveling that speed, okay? So let's go a little farther. So Neptune, which is in our, um, it's in the Milky Way galaxy, um, but it's within our solar system in the Milky Way galaxy, is approximately 2,829 miles, million miles from Earth. Let me guess how long it takes you to get there. Traveling the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. Come on, guys, this is participatory. No guesses? 16 minutes. Four hours and 13 minutes traveling at the speed of light, okay, to Neptune. Pluto, 4.6 billion miles away, so it's just about double um, of what Neptune was, would take you seven hours to get from Earth to Pluto traveling at the speed of light, okay? So, the Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy. So, we're, we live in the uh, Milky Way Galaxy, right? We're floating around somewhere out there in the universe. The Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy is the closest galaxy to our galaxy. Okay? Does anybody know how far it is away? I'll tell you. It's that number, which is, <laughs> uh, let's see, what is that? Millions, billions, trillions, quadrillions. So 147 quadrillion miles from Earth. So traveling the speed of light, how long will it take? Ben, what you got? What? What do you think? No. 25,000 years just to get to the next galaxy. So that means if, if God created a machine that Adam in the Garden of Eden could have traveled the speed of light and he would have started back when he was created, he would, he would not be a third of the way there yet. <laughs> and that's just to the next galaxy, TARS. That's the closest one. So if we go further to the edge of the known universe is that number, which is uh, 76 sextillion miles away. And we want to guess how long it takes you to get there? <laughs> Million years? You're really short. Okay, no. 13 billion years to get to the edge of the known universe from where we're at. So, if you go distance from one edge of the known universe to the other. So, right, this is just the known universe that there might still be more out there. So, right, like, so say the universe is shaped like this. We don't know what it's shaped like, but say it is shaped like this. We're somewhere here. So, the 13 billion years is just to get from here to the nearest edge, okay? So you still have, you can still measure from this edge to this edge, right? So that's what this number is. I don't that number. <laughs> 550 septillion miles, which would 
Oh, I, you know, I don't even have, I don't have the time. It, it's too much to count. Um, <laughs> so, here's some visuals. Okay, so we are, this is our, um, this is the Milky Way galaxy, right? And so, where's my pointer? Here we are. So, right here is our solar system, and within our solar system is all of our planets, right? So, Neptune, Pluto, the Moon, all that. That's there. Okay, the Milky Way galaxy is that whole thing. That's a picture of, what is this? This is the, uh, a supercluster. So a cluster is made up of, of multiple galaxies. So the local group, okay, we're in the local group. See that little, the little blue writing there on the screen? That's the local group. And we're one of those dots. Those dots aren't just stars, they're galaxies. So. That's a supercluster, which is made up of multiple clusters of solar systems. So that's a drawing of what they think maybe the universe looks like. So if you look at uh, D, okay, the local supercluster, that is that. So one of those dots is that. And one of those, one of those dots on that is our little dot. And the Earth is so small, you can't even see us. Yeah, so that's what takes 550 septillion miles, no, 550 septillion miles away from that distance. So, and Isaiah says to God, he stretches that out like a curtain and props it out like a tent to dwell in. Like, if God was going to go camping for the weekend, he would stretch out a universe and prop that up. Like, really, that's what Isaiah is saying. He said, in comparison to who God is, that he can just fling them up like that. That our mind can't even comprehend how big that is. But yeah, Isaiah said he just props it up. So, let's turn back to Genesis. So why? Why did Abraham, out of all the names of God that he could have used, that we have in Scripture, why did he pick this one in this situation. So, I will give you my thought, and you, when we get to heaven, you can check, out, check it out with Abraham. And if I'm wrong, you can come and tell me. Um, so, if you go to Genesis 12, and the context of what is happening in this, I, um, and what we write in Genesis 21, Genesis 12 says this. He says, now, this is telling when God came to Abraham. And what he said to Abraham, he said, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get you out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, God said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. So, what do you need to make a nation? You need at least two things. You need people, and you need land. And Abraham didn't have either one. When, when God came to him, he had no children, and God told him to leave this land that he had. So, he's like, I'm going to do this to you, but right now you have nothing. But in Genesis 21... we see the fulfillment, or the part of the fulfillment, of both of those. So in the first part of Genesis 21, 
Abraham, or Sarah has, has a child, has Isaac, right? And which is part, which is, which is the beginning of it. And then in the, la in the latter part of Genesis 21, Abimelech, who is a king in the country where Abraham is, comes to Abraham and says, look, he's like, I see that you're a power that's to be reckoned with in, in years to now and in years to come. He's like, I want protection from not, for not just me, but for all my, my descendants that will follow after me, for my son and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. So he's like, make a covenant with me. So he's recognizing that Abraham is a power within the land to be reckoned with. And so it's not the fulfillment of all that, but it's the beginning, I think, of God's promise that he's going to be a nation. And that's why I think Abraham uses this name. Because do you know the, distant, the, the, the gap from when God came to Abraham and told him that promise to when this fulfillment was? You know the gap of time there is? No. So Abraham was 75 when he came, when God came to him and told him to leave. And he was 100 years old when Abraham had his son. So there was a gap of 25 years. And I just think, they, what a man that Abraham was to trust the Lord. And that's the thing he calls on the everlasting God, because he's like, God, you're not bound by time. Because there's, can you, can you imagine if God gave you a promise today, and you didn't see it come to pass until 25 years later? Like most of us, if we hold on to a promise for a couple of years, we think we're doing really good, right? If we pray and we pray and we pray and, you know, keep on going for five years, maybe even ten years. Like if we do something for ten years, we think, wow, we're really good. But can you imagine what the enemy would be saying to Abraham throughout those 25 years? Like just give up. God has done nothing. And can you imagine what Abraham, what it would have been like if Abraham would have at the 24th year just given up and said no? But Abraham knew his God, and he built his life on that. He knew who his God was. And that's why he could say, look at God, you are the everlasting God. Even though I don't see this, years leading up to this, he didn't see it happening, but yet he trusted in who God was. And, and the New Testament says that Abraham believed God. And it wasn't just a mental ascent that, oh, I believe God's going to do this. No, he built his life on it. He left where he was, and he built his life on who his God was. And so, that's my encouragement to you guys. Do you guys know who your God is? And it doesn't just happen like that, that we know who God is and we know our God. Because in order for Abraham to trust God like that, he had to know the promises of who God was and who he is. The word of God said that Abraham was a friend of God. And Abraham had so little compared to what we have today. He didn't have the full revelation of God's word. And he didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in him. But yet he knew who, who his God was. And yet how much more are we responsible for what we have today? And do we know who our God is? Now we're building our life on that not on what people say, because you can go and you can find any preacher to basically say anything you want to. And some people do, and they build their life on that. But that's not truth. We've got to go to the authority of the Word of God and say, what is truth? Who is God? 
and then build our life on that. That's what Abraham did, and he was the father of our faith. And yet, how much more? You know, uh, the writer of Hebrews say, says, let me just read it. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore, we, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to those who heard him? How shall we escape if we've been given so much? You guys, you give, you've been given so much here at Ellerslie in the past four weeks. And you've been given a lot of tools to go after the Lord. And it takes time. But are you willing to give up all that and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow after you? I'm going to give up pleasures and desires of the world and fun but to go after the Lord and to be found in Him and to delight ourselves in Him and to have Him be the center of our joy and to have Him be our everything so we can know who our God is. And so let's be like Abraham and trust in who our God is and build our life on that. Let's pray. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.